All right, you're about to sit still for about two and a half hours is how long the service sermon was in the first service, so buckle up. I need some energy from you. Um, if you have your Bibles, that's a joke, by the way. The first service would still be going on if the sermon was two and a half hours, all right? Uh, grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, there's a, a black one near you on uh, a seat back in front of you. It's going to be on page 924 in Luke chapter 12 today. Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be spending our time here in a little bit. Uh, Jeff will come up and read today's passage. Uh, but for now, we're going to give you a few minutes to get there uh, and get that marked. So I'm going to start by just asking you a question this morning. Why is it so hard to wait for something better when you can have something not quite as good right now? I, we, uh, we observe this behavior in our children, and I especially uh, Gemma, who's here. Hi, Gemma. Uh, she's here, and when uh, she was younger, this was something she did a lot. She always wanted the instantaneous, right? And so... One day, I thought I was going to have some fun with her and test this out. So, Corinne had made um, uh, some homemade cookies. Jimmy was about two and a half at this time. And Jimmy did what two and a half year olds want to do. They want, she wanted cookies. And so, I asked her. I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You can have a cookie right now. But if you're willing to wait one hour, just one hour, I'll give you three in an hour. And she thought about it and said, you know what, I'll take the cookie now. I said, all right, all right let, me, let me sweeten the pot a little here. You can have a cookie now, or if you say, no cookie right now, for breakfast tomorrow morning, I'll give you five cookies. And that's all you have to eat for breakfast. I thought that would get her. She thought about it and still wanted the cookie. And then I thought, all right, let's just see how far this goes now. I'm in it, you know. I said, how about no cookie now, ten cookies for breakfast tomorrow. Still wanted the one cookie. And then I was like, this is my, this is my swing for the fences. If you don't have a cookie now, I'll give you 50 cookies tomorrow. And then I got really nervous because we didn't have 50 cookies. And I knew I was going to have to go to Korean and be like, you have to make 50 cookies. Why? Well, because I wanted to play a dumb game and she, she called my bluff, right? And she thought about it. She's like, can I have a cookie now and 50 cookies tomorrow? And I was like, nope. We have to decide. One cookie now or 50 cookies tomorrow. And she still chose the one cookie now. And I remember thinking, gosh, I've got to train her out of this. But you know what the reality is? I still have to train me out of this. Right? If, if I just look, if I just laid before me, myself a, a plethora of decisions I made just this week, what most of them were is I went for the best in the instant. Right? Because we can all be slaves to the present. In fact, I'm going to argue this morning that it's our autopilot. Right? That, that all your thoughtless decisions, the one that you don't actually uh, sit down and think really hard about, they're all going to be based on what you want right then with no thought given to the long term. And you got to be careful with that because what's best now most often doesn't equal what's best long term. And there's a big push in our day to, for us to live in the moment. And, and I'll, I'll say, as cheesy as that saying is, there is some great value in that. And the idea is this, that to be fully present, to be fully engaged, to be fully connected with what's happening around you instead of staring at some device or screen, there, there is great value in that. But we need to make this distinction that living in the moment is so much better than living for the moment. Because living for the moment means that you're going to be basing all your decisions on what feels right and best and easiest right then. And if you sow enough of those seeds, I'll just tell you now, you're not going to like the harvest that comes. Now this makes sense to us logically. Right? You, you go, go buy any uh, financial advice book or, or listen to any uh, financial guru and they're all going to tell you the same thing. You need to save for college. You need to save for retirement. You need to save for emergencies. Do you know why there have been zero financial books written that tell you to spend your money on whatever you want right then? Because no one's ever had to tell you that. 
You're just going to do that all on your own without any encouragement. We do this in other areas. We will, will not follow through on disciplining our children because it's easier just not to fight it right then. We'll skip the workout because second dinner sounds a lot better. We'll skip time in the Word because that office episode won't watch itself for the ninth time, will it? And many of these decisions, right? Many of these decisions are on their own. They're smaller. Many of these decisions are on their own insignificant. They won't produce devastating results. But if they form a pattern of decision making, that's where they start wreaking all kinds of havoc. And so God in his word speaks to this, speaks to the importance of priorities, speaks to the importance of investment, speaks to the importance of time. And one of the most consistent themes in the Bible is how fleeting time is. Now we're in this series that we're calling Reboot um, because we're rebooting as a church. And so we're looking at our vision that we exist, right, to bring glory to God by developing disciples who live for God's purposes. That's what we're here for. That's why he's put FBN here. It's the vision that he's given uh, all churches, right? And then there are five different ways we're going to do that. We're unpacking each of those. In the first part, we've been looking at this idea that that you have been sent, right? That we are to live as people who have been sent as Jesus' ambassadors. And Jesus' vision for our lives, right, is that we become disciples who live for his purposes. That we bring God glory in what we do and we share the gospel so that others can bring him glory as well. And so last week we started with talking about this idea that what should be the biggest hurdles to this is not us mentally and even in our heart agreeing that that's what our life should be about. One of our biggest hurdles is just the availability, whether we are available for this or not. And so we tried to have a really honest chat about how we as a church have contributed to your lack of availability. And I hope there's been some prayerful responses of that over the last week. But today my goal is simply this, is to just recognize the uniqueness of time. Time is unique in several ways. It's the only resource that you can't ever get back. It's, it's, it's unique in that no matter what, you're always going to fill time with something. And, and it's unique that no matter what we do uh, or what we do with this life, this one brief life, how we use our time matters deeply to God. And so in Luke chapter 12, Jesus, chapter 12, Jesus tells a story that drives that point home. This is a story about investment, okay? So I'm going to invite Jeff up to read today's passage to you in Luke Chapter 12, verse 16 and 21. Like I said, if you've got one of the black Bibles, it's page 924. And if you're physically capable, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, everyone. Starting in verse 16. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Thank you, Jeff. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. These are your people. And most of all, God, this is your time. Um, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so I pray that you would just give us hearts to recognize that as we um, unpack this story this morning, God, as we try to to root out what what Jesus meant for us to know when he told this parable, we ask that you would be the one who speaks, you would be the one who teaches, you would be the one who convicts and encourages, and you'd be the one who gets all the glory from this. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. You can have a seat. So this is probably one of, I would, 
maybe give a top 10, one of Jesus' top 10 most famous stories. Don't ask me to give that list off the top of my head. I won't be able to do it for you, right? Because uh, I haven't actually sat down and ranked the popularity of his stories. But um, it, it's a story you've probably heard taught before. It's a, it's a parable that, that many people mention. Uh, but the context of this story is, is pretty important. It comes from verse 13. And so if you have uh, your Bible open, in verse 13 you'll notice that uh, a man comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to settle what amounts to a financial dispute between him and his brother. Right, they are fighting about how uh, they're going to divide their father's inheritance. And uh, often in Jesus' day, people would come to rabbis and see them as judges. And so um, if a rabbi made some sort of judgment on this dispute, it would be final. There's just one problem. Jesus has no interest in settling this, this dispute. He doesn't care, right, because he has a higher aim. The problem, as Jesus sees it, is not related to distribution. It's not who gets more and who gets less. The problem is a heart issue. Jesus quickly deduces that both these brothers are too devoted to money and too devoted to stuff, and that's why they are in conflict. And so he tells a story. In the story, there's a rich man who has a really, really good year. Best year ever. Right? His crops produce a harvest that is so bountiful that he has nowhere to even store. He doesn't even have enough storage place for all the goods that he has. Uh, and so this, it's, it's, the year is so good, he now has a problem. And so he sits down, and he thinks about this problem, and he, and he comes up with his own plan, his own solution. He says, I'm going to build me a complex. I'm going to tear down all these small barns that I have, and I'm going to build much bigger barns, and I'm going to store all my goods in there, and it's going to be an investment of my time, it's going to be an investment of my resources, it's going to be an investment of my energy, but at the end of it, oh man, just wait. Because at the end of it, I'm going to be set. At the end of it, I'm going to get that really good life where I can lay back because I have so much stored up for years to come that I can take life easy and eat, drink, and be merry, and that'll be the good life. And he thinks this is a terrific plan. And so he sets out to accomplish it. He builds the complex. He accomplishes his goal. And then there's that twist in the story where all of a sudden God shows up and this loving, gracious, patient, merciful God looks at the man and says, you fool. You fool. Now, there's not a wasted word anywhere in Jesus' stories. He chose this word for a reason. The Greek word there is aphron. It, it doesn't just mean a senselessness to the foolishness, but it's a, it's a rash and egotistical foolishness. Why does God feel this way? Because he knows some of the things the rich man didn't, and one of them is that his time was up. That everything that he built, everything he prepared, everything he stored up, he's going to see the fruits of none of it. Now, as with all of Jesus' story, this little story packs a big punch in a, in a little time. And there's a lot of things that we can take away from, but I'm going to do my best to share a few. Right, and first and foremost, I, I want to just let you know, this is a story about investment. Whenever Jesus tells a parable, he always throws in some pretty overt clues to the meaning of the parables. Right? These, these aren't hidden. He wants you to get it, right? And one such clue is whenever he repeats uh, words or phrases or themes over and over and over again. So look again at Luke 12 with me and see if you can catch one such clue. Verse 17, it says this. I don't have anywhere to store my crops. Right? Verse 18. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grains and goodness there. Goods there. Verse 19. You have many goods stored up for many years. Verse 20. Who, and, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Verse 21, this is how it is with those who store up treasures for themselves and is not rich towards God. Are you starting to catch the theme? 
Every verse, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, they all mention the idea of storing or preparing. And so let's just ask the question. Obviously, this, this is a story meant to have a negative outcome. And so is Jesus against preparation? Is Jesus anti-investment? Is Jesus anti-storing? Well, no, he's not. But I can tell you he's very interested in where you are storing. That's what makes all the difference for him. The reason God calls this man a fool is not because he stored It's not because he stored things up. It's because all of his investments were unprotected and not guaranteed. It's because all of his investments were to be cashed in in this life, which is completely unprotected and not guaranteed. And in verse 21, Jesus brings the story home. He says, this is how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And so, yes, this story is in response to the wealth and greed of the brothers, but the application is for anybody any who's storing up things for themselves, anyone whose pursuits, anyone whose investments, anyone whose time goes chiefly to themselves and this life and the things that don't last, God looks at that type of living and he calls it foolish. Now, if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that we human beings are really poor at accepting undeniable truths. One such undeniable truth is this. One day your life will be demanded from you. Unless Jesus returns, every single one of us will die. And honestly, it felt like the pandemic was the first time some people ever considered that. And even still, if you, if you listen to how people are postured, many are believing in, in some human agency, and so, some, some government or medical lab will save them if we can just give them enough time. We need to realize this. Time is limited. Time is incredibly limited right up until it's not. Because here's how the Bible teaches it. The Bible teaches that time is really fleeting right up until it goes on forever. And there's a clear line of delineation there. Here's what it says about your earthly life. James chapter 4. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. The Bible could not be clear that your earthly life here is just a blip on the radar. It's a flash in the pan. It is here one day and gone the next. But what awaits you after that? Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is speaking. They will go away into, and here's the word, eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We have been given one short, brief, fleeting life here to prepare for a life that goes on for all eternity. And the reality is there are two huge things we must do in this short, brief, temporary life in response to that truth. Number one is this. We must surrender our lives to Jesus Christ for the gift of eternal life. Romans chapter 3 tells us that all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all rebelled against his good and right rule. And there are some major ramifications of that. Ephesians 2 says that you're spiritually dead already. That you are are slaves to God's enemy. And the wrath of God is bound up. It's stored up waiting for you. And you're on your way to hell. John 3 says you are condemned already. But... Ephesians 2 and Romans, and Romans 5 both have this incredible phrase, but God. God demonstrated his love for us in this, so that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ Jesus, even though we were spiritually dead. This is the gospel. God sends his son Jesus as a response to our sin. And Jesus lives the perfect, holy, sinless life that we could not live so that when he went to the cross, he was suffering and dying a substitutionary death. He was absorbing the wrath of God and the penalty for sin for all who believe in him. 
And having fully paid it, when he rose again, he offers eternal life to any who believe in him. And the end result is this. If you give your one brief life here to Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven. You'll be reconciled to God. You'll be adopted into his family. And you'll be given life eternal in heaven. And if you live for anything else other than him, you are condemned already. The Bible could not be clearer. The first most important thing you must do with this life is surrender it to the Lordship of Jesus. Trust him to save you. Secondly, we're then told to invest in the eternal life to come. Once Jesus Christ has taken care of our greatest need, once that relationship with God is established, the best thing that we can do with this life is prepare for the next one. Here's how Jesus puts it in Matthew 6. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves. Catch this. He's not anti-storing up. He's worried about where. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The single greatest calling on your life is to bring glory to God and share the gospel so that others can do the same. And he's given you endless, almost endless resources to do this with. He's given you the time that he's given you. He's given you the talents that you have. He's given you uh, your finances. He's given you passions and skills and gifts. He's given you uh, relationships and people. And the Bible indicates that when we stand before the Lord, there's going to be two major things that I, that I have to answer for. Number one is this. What did I do with Jesus Christ? And number two, what did I do with everything that God gave me to bring him glory and bear him fruit? And I want to tell you, for everything that this rich man in Luke 12, everything he's succeeded at in life, he failed in both of those categories miserably. He made no investments in either. He never considered that his life would end. He never connected it with God. The only things that he built and invested in were things that would benefit him here. And Jesus' epitaph on his life is that he was a fool and poor towards God. It's a story about investments. Secondly, our reactions to this story, I think, reveal a lot about us. Let's make no mistake about it. This is meant to be a tragic, shocking story. You as the hearer are meant to feel the tension and the irony and the twist at the end. But how we react to the details throughout, how we react to these characters might show us a mirror into our own heart. Let me ask you, as you heard this story, what, what was going through your head when you heard that the rich man had such a good year, that he had too good a year, that he needed a solution, were you thinking, boy, just one time I'd like that problem, just once in my life. When he decides to tear down his old barns and build newer and bigger barns so he can store up stuff for his future, were you thinking, that, that makes logical sense. When his stated desire is to prepare for a life of ease and comfort so that he can ride off in the sunset comfortably, were you thinking, that sounds really nice. Then when he dies, we're thinking, how, how, how sad is it? How sad that he never got to enjoy the fruits of his labor. And then when God pours salt in the wound by calling him a fool, were you thinking, that seems harsh. Listen, it's important to gauge your reactions to this. If you think God was harsh here, if you think the tragedy of this story was that this man never got to enjoy his spoils, or if your life goals might be matching his, those are some pretty clear warning signs that you might be on the same path he was on. I was at a birthday party once where I was talking with a, a man who, who has claimed faith in Jesus. Right? He's, he's raised his family and church his entire life. He, he's, he claims to be a follower of Jesus, and he's been incredibly successful. And on this day, he, he wasn't that old. He was uh, in his early 40s, 
but he was telling me and a group of us that were gathered around him how, uh, how, dis- how specifically he had the next 10 years of his life mapped out. That he knew that the month and the year that he would hit each of his financial goals. And in 10 years, in his early 50s, he was going to move to Arizona. And he'd already picked out, there's a gated community in Arizona that he had reserved a condo in. And inside the, the gates of this community, it had uh, grocery stores, it had a, a gym facility, it had four golf courses, it had uh, three different swimming pools. And his goal was to never, ever, ever leave outside the gate. And he, and he already knew which type of golf cart he was going to buy because he wasn't going to need a car anymore. And he could just drive the golf cart around the community. And man, I'm telling you, I should have been the target demo for this story. Because if you tell me that there's a place that I can go where there is no winter and there's golf year-round and there's, and there's la- leisure life, I should desire that, right? I mean, that's, I'm the target demo there. But as he was talking, my heart was not excited for him. In fact, my heart was aching. And I just kept thinking, what a waste. This guy's smart. He's got lots of resources. He claimed faith in Jesus. He had, many, he had a family. He had, he had several kids. He had connections. And there wasn't a single person in his plans considered other than himself. There wasn't one thought about where his kids or grandkids might end up and whether he'd like to pour into those relationships. There wasn't one mention of asking God what God might want to do with a good few decades of retirement. You know what he's doing? He's following the playbook of Luke 12 exactly, a story I'm sure he heard in Sunday school growing up and he didn't even seem to notice. Do you notice the thought process of this man in Jesus' story? Three verses, we're told what he thinks. He thinks out loud. In those three verses, 11 different times he uses personal pronouns. He never considered anyone else. He never considered what God might want him to do with this abundant harvest. He never considered what God might want him to do with this life. And nothing could be more foolish in God's eyes than that. So let me ask you, as you think through your investments, as you think through how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you spend your energy, how you spend your resources, how you spend your passions, how you spend your relational equity. What is your thought process? If we could hear you thinking out loud, would they all be personal pronouns? Well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build bigger barns to store my stuff. Do you hear the words? Or do you ever consider what God might want you to invest in? Do you ever consider how you might bless others in the name of Jesus? There is a tragic twist in the story, but it's not that the guy died. It's not even that he, he didn't get to enjoy what he worked on. The tragic twist is not what's left behind, but what lays ahead, because this man's life, as successful as it was by earthly standards, did not prepare him for eternity at all. And so he's going to head to a forever reality in torment and pain and suffering because he had no desire for the Lord while he was here. That's the tragedy. So what do we, what do, we do with this, church? How do we react to this story of Jesus? Well, number one, I think we need to prayerfully number our days correctly. There's a psalm uh, that is actually a recorded prayer of Moses. And in the middle of this psalm, uh, it, it, there's, a, there's a request in Moses' prayer that just shows me he gets it. Psalm, uh, verse 90, or psalm chapter 90, verse 12 says this, Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. And I want us as a church, as we consider what it means to be sent by God, right, to live our lives as someone who's been sent as his ambassadors, we consider what it means to serve the Lord with his life. I want that to be a prayer of all who call FBN home. Lord, Lord, 
Teach us to number our days correctly so that you may give us a heart of wisdom. There's an undeniable fact that we're all going to die. Unless Jesus returns first, that's going to happen. And I don't, I'm not trying to bum you out. That's just true, right? But we sure don't live like that most of the time, do we? We go throughout our days. We make our decisions. We, we set our schedule as if we're going to have endless time here. We parent as if our kids are going to be in our house forever. We share our faith with the same urgency we would that, that would suggest that my friends and neighbors will have forever to decide whether or not to accept Jesus. We give our time to an abundance of temporary pursuits, convinced that we're going to have more time for God when, quote, things settle down. But we don't have all the time in the world. In fact, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow, and things won't ever settle down, especially not without an effort and commitment on our part. If we could draw a timeline of eternity, such a small, minuscule speck of dust on that line that you wouldn't even see it with the naked human eye, that's what you have in light of eternity. How are you shaping your lives in light of that wisdom? We must ask the Lord to help us number our days correctly. Secondly, in that, we need to ask God also to help uh, to, to lessen the hold of the temporary. There is a really clear reason why entire days can be given to video games. There's a really clear reason why entire days can be given to Netflix and social media. There's a clear reason why building bigger barns is just really enticing. There's a clear reason why material possessions have a hold on us. Making this your best life now is incredibly desirable because this is your only life now. But the danger in money is not that it can't buy happiness. I, you've probably been told that money can't buy happiness. It absolutely can. It buys it in all the wrong places and all the wrong reasons. That's the danger. Because the people who become satisfied with the things this world can provide are at the greatest danger of losing everything this world look cannot give. And look at, and he's Jesus consistently is trying to get us to look out and look ahead. And he's telling you again and again and again that your goal is to have your best life later. Because what is better later is best of all. What is better later is connected to God who is forever. What is better later is what we can enjoy and will enjoy for all eternity. What is better later can never be taken away from us. What is better later is what we are actually created for. The Bible is rife with warning. 1 Timothy 6, Matthew 6, Luke 12, Matthew 13. Again and again we are warned about the deceit of wealth and the dangers of, of, of having a desire to be rich. But the Bible doesn't demonize money and things. It just always approaches them from the angle of the heart. And it's clear, if your desire is for those things first, you cannot serve God. And this leaning is in all of us. This temptation is prevalent in all of us. All of our hearts are drawn to temporary things. And so we must appeal to the Lord to remove that from us, to give us a heart for Him and His kingdom and His purposes first, to give us a heart for what's better later. Thirdly, and this is what we've been talking about for a couple of weeks, you need to make yourself available to God. I want to ask this question this morning. Which life the here and now or the one you're going to have for all eternity? Which life are you actually pouring into the most? Which life are you investing into the most? And where is it in this short, fleeting, temporary life that you can bring an eternal perspective into that isn't yet there? We can never store up treasures in heaven. We can never bring God glory. We can never bear Him fruit if we simply don't have time for Him. 
So last week we took an honest look at our commitments here to try to get you to clarify and simplify what, you, what the Lord wants you to do here to free up some time to be used by Him. This week I want you to look at your lives away from here. What is it that you're giving too much time to? What is it that you're pursuing too aggressively? What are, how are you building only things that you can't take with you? How are you investing only in the here and now? And then are there pursuits that you can actually bring God into? Adam a couple weeks ago said he would love nothing more than to stop preaching against sports. And my soul screamed amen because I love sports. But here's what he meant by that. There's absolutely a way that you can use your passions and interests as a mission field, that you can bring God's intentionality into them. And there's absolutely a way that those same passions and interests can dominate your lives and become idols and push you away from the Lord. The question is, which one are they for you? And be honest. What actual spiritual fruit has come from those investments? And is there a way to bring more out of them? Or is it time to simply just lessen that commitment in your life? See, we humans have a unique capacity to fill time. We just do it. Even if we have nothing to do on a day that we wake up, guess what? We still fill that entire day. And so if you aren't intentionally clearing space to serve God, if you aren't intentionally setting aside time to serve his mission, if you aren't intentionally pointing people to him, you won't ever get around to it because things will never, ever settle down. So when is the last time that you had someone over to your house for dinner with the hopes that you could build a relationship with them that you could ultimately share your faith with them? When's the last time you had lunch with a non-believer? When's the last time you played ball or played a round of golf or had a sport with, with a greater goal in mind than just winning the game or setting a personal best? When's the last time you shared an experience with a greater goal in mind than just that experience? When's the last time you intentionally sat by another family at your kid's game to build that relationship? When's the last time you encouraged your coworker, your neighbor? When's the last time you even prayed for the non-believers in your life? And without these intentional steps, without these purposeful, committed habits, without continually reminding yourself, here's what's going to happen. You and I and all of us will just slide right back into building our own kingdoms and our own barns and surrendering to the lordship of the temporary. But we've been called to something greater, haven't we? We've been called to something better and far more meaningful. We've been called to ensure that our best life is later. And in that, we get the opportunity to be used by God to bring him glory and lead others to him. Your best life later doesn't mean that this life can't be awesome. And the single most effective way to ensure that it is, is by being rich towards God. I'm going to stand before the Lord one day. And I'm going to tell you what I want to hear. What I want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. What I don't want to hear is, you fool. Who's going to get everything you worked for now? And I think if we pulled this room, we, we would all be aligned that desire. The question that remains is this. How are we working towards that? How are we connecting our lives with Jesus? How are we serving his kingdom? How are we doing that so that we can indeed have our best life later? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this story of Jesus. We thank you for his clear and undeniable voice that points us again and again and again to wisdom that this world will not give us. God, we thank you for the clear and undeniable voice of Jesus that, that pushes us, Lord, to live for something greater than the here and now. 
And so I pray if there's anybody in this room, anybody listening online right now that has not surrendered, not taken this one brief fleeting temporary life and connected it with the grace and goodness and gospel of Jesus Christ, that they have not surrendered their life to him and been forgiven of their sins and promised the gift of eternal life, today would be their day of salvation. Lord, they would pray now and ask you to forgive them and take over their lives. And then, God, for the rest of us, it is clear. Like, none of us have gotten this right. We're all slaves to the temporary. We're all beholden to the moment. We all make decisions for the here and now way too often. And, and, and in that, Lord, it'd be wrong to posture as if we're above that. But help that realization drive us to pray and ask you to, to help us number our days correctly. To pray and ask you to, to give us wisdom to how we can serve you in this life. To pray and ask you to lessen the hold of the temporary. To pray and ask how we can be more available for you. So that we as a church, we as a people, we as a family, we as individuals can be storing up in heaven. Or would you make us a place that's about that? And would you do so for your glory? And we pray this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Before our band leads us in one final closing song, we're going to give you a couple minutes just to spin between you and the Lord. Uh, if you need some guidance, there's some stuff on the screens that can help guide your prayers. But th- really, this is just your time uh, to wrestle with him on maybe some things he put on your heart this morning.